Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 104 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Captain Courageous, an interview with Julia Fagelman. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, we met this young woman who showed unbelievable courage in the face of this terrible Lyme disease journey. Rich, Julia was so strong. She was sick for years, but had the courage to go to Germany, to Clinic St. George, to get hyperthermia treatment, where they literally put you under and put you under extreme heat to kill the Lyme bacteria. Not only did she do that, but she also did weekly colonics, IV ozone, and now is exposing herself to the Wim Hof method, which is extreme cold temperatures to heal from Lyme disease. So Matt, without further ado, Captain Courageous, Julia Fagelman. Hey, Julia, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're really blessed to have you. So Julia, where are you calling in from? I am calling you from Corte Madera, California. And how long have you lived in that community? Oh, wow. I've been here my whole life. I actually grew up here. Um, so I was here until I was about 17, 18. And then I went to, um, you know, school in LA. And now I'm back home. So Julia, when did you first begin to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your Lyme disease? The symptoms go back 10 years. So my first symptoms happened when I was 15 years old, it was after uh, a nature excursion um, into nearby mountains near my home. My dad and I did this volunteer trip to pull weeds um, from the mountainside. So we were just, you know, out in the bushes all day long. You know, it was a hot day. I, I remember it being pretty warm. So I was probably wearing a tank top and shorts. We're pulling weeds all day. And a couple of days after that, that nature excursion, I got violently sick. So that was, that was the first time I had symptoms and it was acute illness. Um, and I was hospitalized for a little under a week. Um, and that was the first time that, that I had, you know, what I now know to be Lyme symptoms. Now, Julia, were you diagnosed with Lyme disease at that time when you had the acute illness when you were 15? No, unfortunately not. Um, I wish I were, of course. But so I was in the hospital and this was very early on in my illness. Um, they did run uh, a Lyme blood test, uh, but it was it was way too early on for, you know, the, the concentration of antibodies wasn't high enough at the time to be detected. And so um, that was just ruled out and kind of just was, you know, one of the many, many, many tests that they did on me. And I had blood tests and I had a spinal tap and I had a, um, I forget what this is called. Um, when they suck some of your lymph node tissue out and they look at that bi biopsy, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I was getting all sorts of these tests done and we were going through every possible, you know, the doctors were going through every possible diagnosis and everything was coming back negative. So you were in the hospital for a week and they tested you for Lyme during that one week period when you were in the hospital after what you now know to be your tick bite and they ruled out Lyme disease because you didn't test positively on the antibody test. Right. Yeah. So they just, they ruled it out. They didn't revisit that because the, that test came back negative. Um, and I, I have a memory of myself being in my hospital bed with a laptop um, trying to solve the mystery myself as a 15 year old and I'm Googling the symptoms, you know, cause that's what we all do. We all go into Google and we see, okay, what am I dying from this time? And, um, I, I have this flashbulb memory of, of reading the Wikipedia page and seeing every single one of my symptoms listed there. And I just thought, huh, you know, this kind of sounds like I'm a textbook case of Lyme, but you know, I'm not going to question these doctors who did the test and it was negative. So then it must be negative. And I just, you know, I wasn't going to question the experts and never thought about that again. So you now know that the experts didn't properly utilize the testing that was available when you're 15, and they ruled out what should have been a Lyme disease diagnosis because they didn't know how to run the test. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you do the test properly, that's not a 100% chance that you'll get a positive. Sometimes you have to do it multiple times or different types of tests, but the way that they did the test early on, I mean, it was almost for, you know, it was for sure that it would come back negative. So Julia, let's walk back to what your life was like before you had that experience of the tick bite in 2010. 
what was your life like and what kinds of things were you pursuing and what were your professional dreams? So are you asking this is before when I, before I was 15? Yeah. Before you, before you got sick, what, what were okay. your goals? What were your dreams? What kinds of things were you working on? Yeah. I mean, as a teenager, you know, I was just living my life as a kid. I'm blessed to say that I had a really great childhood, a wonderful family. You know, we'd go on yearly vacations and we'd go skiing. And I, I was always, uh, I loved learning. I was always a, kind of a school nerd. So I was really focused on school. Um, I was a competitive rhythmic gymnast. So I was doing a lot of gymnastics. I was doing piano lessons and piano competitions. Um, so just kind of doing all of my extracurriculars and volunteering and going to school. And at this time, um, my goal was to go to college. Um, I don't think I had figured out my career aspirations yet quite at this point, but, you know, I was leaning towards maybe become a doctor. So, you know, at this time I'm thinking, get an education, become a doctor and enjoy my young life. I was pretty worry-free at this time. So prior to the experience that you had, which you just shared with us, that brought you to the hospital at the age of 15, did you have any health issues? I mean, aside from kind of the normal stuff that kids have, you know, like an ear infection or a cold, I mean, I was a really healthy kid. You know, I never, never had any major health issues. Um, I was active, you know, ate normally. So um, other than the minor thing, I was, I was perfectly healthy. Now, what did you know about ticks and tick diseases prior to your experience at the age of 15? So the extent of my knowledge on tick disease is this. Uh, I remember seeing in my town a, uh, an ad on a on, at a bus stop. You know, you have the big, um, the big bus stop ads. I don't know what they're called. But, and I remember it, it had a tick. It had a Lyme warning on it. There was like a picture of a tick or something, and it said, you know, something about Lyme disease. I just remember that, that image of that ad. So I, I knew the name. I had heard of it. Um, I had, I didn't know anything else about it. I didn't know if it was like an acute illness or chronic. I had just simply heard the name. So you grew up in a community where you have a good educational system. You described yourself, I, I'll describe you differently, as an educational geek. Uh, you, were, <laughs> you, were, uh, you were studying the piano. You were, you, you were involved in other cultural activities. So if someone should have known about Lyme disease or should have certainly received the educational information that should have been made available, it would have been you. If, 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 if tick education information and Lyme education were made available, that 15-year-old kid would have, would have um, acquired that information and the skills if they had been available, wouldn't she have? Absolutely. And I mean, I would even say in school, we had a lot of field trips and nature trips where you would be at risk of getting Lyme disease and getting a tick bite. So to me, it's crazy that they wouldn't spend 30 minutes kind of warning kids about this and just saying, hey, check your, make sure you don't have a tick bite. It's just such a simple thing. And no one ever had said anything about it at all. So now let's, let's now fast forward past the experience that you had where you were hospitalized at the age of 15. How are your symptoms developing and how are the developing symptoms impacting the pursuit of your dreams? Uh, so in high school, so after I left, I was, after I left the hospital at 15, I kind of went back to my life as usual, kind of forgot about that whole incident, just went back to living my life. Um, the only thing that was different is that I went from being a super happy-go-lucky, optimistic, bubbly kid that was laughing 24-7, maybe just only not when I was asleep, but I was always laughing, to being a sad kid. And this was very uncharacteristic for me. Um, there was no re there was no event in my life that would have made me consistently down and you know down in the dumps. But I had this big mood change. But of course, at the time, I was not not attributing this to that episode. And my friends in high school definitely noticed that I was different, and they were kind of becoming more distanced from me. And of course, that made me more sad. So, and I didn't, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you're not very self-aware you're not sure of what's going on but um so that that was kind of the first indication and 
you know, that already made it a bit tough in, in high school. And um, do you want me to go on and talk about later on how it impacted as well? Well, let's talk about how it affected your family. You indicated that you almost had a switch go off after you had left that hospital stay at 15 and you started to have some social challenges that were a new experience for you. Did those social challenges impact your family in addition to your friendships? Oh, definitely. You know, my, my parents saw that something was wrong and they couldn't figure out what or why because nothing had changed. I was same school, same friends, same activities. You know, I was still swimming. I think I was swimming at this point instead of gymnastics, still doing piano. So still excelling, you know, with my grades. So there was nothing that happened that would make sense for me to feel this way. And I was coming home sad every day and crying to them and you know they were thinking oh should we change schools like what's maybe this is too stressful because I was in a bilingual college prep school and you know we were kind of trying to find an external solution but obviously this was an internal problem and at any time during the course of all of these challenges that you were having did you think back to your experience of your hospitalization at 15 and perhaps even think that uh, perhaps you weren't properly diagnosed at that time no, not at all. It didn't cross my mind. So now talk about how um, your symptoms progressed and what impact it had on you socially, educationally, or in any other way. <laughs> so the symptoms that progressed impacted me in every way because how can they not? Uh, so the, the first hospitalization was, this was 2010. So then four years after that, the same exact thing happened. It was, it was uncanny. It was like the same exact series of symptoms appeared in the same order. And I had a feeling something was, was very wrong. I remember I was actually uh, walking, I was in college and I was uh, walking from class and I called my mom and I said, mom, something feels off. You know, I'm kind of feeling really weird. Like, I don't know if I should go to the gym. I was just about to go to the gym. And she's like, you know, this doesn't sound great. Cause I had mentioned to her, that my lymph nodes were, were very sensitive. And she said, mm, this doesn't sound good. You know, I skipped the gym today. And thank God I walked back to my apartment because about an hour later, you know, my fever shot up. All the symptoms that had happened that first time reappeared. And this whole, this whole flare was happening again. And um, again, I was hospitalized. So this time, you know, I was living down in LA. So I was hospitalized again. And it was the same thing, all the tests, all the specialists, and no answers. Um, or actually, they did diagnose me with uh, Rose Dorfman disease, which is not what I had, but they diagnosed me with that. Um, so after so, that, yeah. Let, sorry, me, let, me, let me explore that with you for one second. So do you believe that you had some event in your life, some stress in your life that caused your Lyme disease to um, reignite? Or do you believe that you were reinfected and as a consequence of a new tick bite or a new infection, you were seeing similar symptoms? I don't think that I was reinfected. I think it was just the infection flaring up and it was being triggered. And I, I think that's because, you know, in college, you don't necessarily have the best lifestyle. I was drinking and, and not sleeping that much. And, you know, maybe eating more sugar than I should have been eating. And I was, you know, pulling all-nighters and studying a lot. And there's a lot of stress and it's a whole new environment. So I think these environmental, environmental and lifestyle factors uh, woke it up pretty much. Okay. So because you, you believe that your immune system had been compromised because of lifestyle decisions and maybe just the stresses of being a college student who's trying to perform at a high level, you now, you now have a flare-up. Um, now, when you, were, when you were hospitalized the second time, were you tested for Lyme disease? And did you think back to the first experience you had where you self-diagnosed yourself with Lyme disease after coming across the Wikipedia page? I definitely connected the two events just because they were so similar. And it was the same exact symptoms in the same order and the same duration. So I definitely thought, okay, there's some there's a pattern here. Um, I hadn't, I wouldn't say that I diagnosed myself because I just believed the doctors who said I didn't have Lyme. So I thought, Oh, this is not Lyme. Uh, and 
uh, yeah, so I, I, I knew that there was something, like these were not uh, mutually exclusive events, but I didn't know how they were connected at the time. Okay. So now you said that you were diagnosed with a, uh, you said Rosai, is it Rosé or Rosai Dorfman disease? I don't even know how it's pronounced, but Rosai, Rosé Dorfman, yeah, it's very rare. Um, and it doesn't even, when you read the description, I didn't think it sounded like what I had, but that's, that was their best guess. Were you given a course of treatment for the misdiagnosed uh, disease? So it was just the same as the first hospitalization. Only while I was in the hospital, they gave me some broad spectrum IV antibiotics. Um, and, you know, it sort of all subsided after a week and I went home. Okay. So the good news is, is they, they, they did treat you with antibiotics, which is something that they should have treated you with if they had properly diagnosed you. So you were lucky to have doctors stumble across a proper treatment protocol. And how did you then recover after being released from the hospitalization during your college years? Um, how did I, do you mean how physically did I recover or? Yeah, how'd, how'd you do? I mean, wh when you were released in the hospital after they had treated mm -hmm. you with the antibiotics, did you feel better? Uh, were you the same? Were you going back to your life? What, what, what Right. Happened? I mean, it was a very short course of antibiotics. I don't even know if I did the 10 days. Um, I'm not sure, but I, yeah, when I left the hospital, you know, you're a little tired, a little weak right after, but then after that, I kind of went back to my life as normal, um, went back to being a college student and working out and all the things I was doing. Um, but I started having some new symptoms at this point that started to emerge. Uh, and I found myself. And so I'll say that when I first had this symptom, I could not figure out what it was because I had never felt this in my entire life. And after once again, going to Dr. Google and, and typing in, you know, what could this be? I realized I was having anxiety uh, and I had never had it. You know, I was always a super go with the flow, very chill person. So to be having anxiety was so strange for me. Um, and again, there was, there were no events to trigger it. It was just the physiological sensation of anxiety that kept coming up. Um, and I also started having the beginnings of some insomnia, which at the time I attributed to being just stressed out about exams. And I was taking, you know, I was pre-med, so I was taking some pretty tough courses. And I thought, well, this is just, you know, the stress of college. Can you describe for us what the physiological symptoms of your anxiety were like? Meaning, what was happening? What were you thinking? What were you responding to? What was the anxiety like? Yeah, so it's so hard to describe, if, um, you know, to someone who maybe doesn't have it, but it just feels like um, it's like an internal, an internal panic or nervousness that is not attributed to anything going on. So I would be trying to study and I just couldn't focus on what I was studying and my heart was just beating out of my chest all the time and my mind was racing. So I couldn't focus. I couldn't sleep. I was just, it's, you feel like you're wired all the time. Like you have too much current running through you and you can't calm down no matter what you, you know, I tried reading and coloring and journaling and all the things they tell you to do. But um, I just had this ongoing state of electricity inside my body, like too much adrenaline. Well, were you suffering from any negative self-talk? We've had guests in the past talk to us about self-talk and how um, you're almost like being mean to yourself and the voice that you're hearing uh, in your head. Did you hear any of that? Um, not at this time, maybe, maybe later on in my journey when things, uh, when I had more symptoms and wasn't able to do all of the things I used to be able to do. I think that's when I started being hard on myself, but not at this point. So now let's say again, at this point where you're beginning to have your anxiety and, uh, and you're having trouble focusing on your studies, um, how is this impacting you socially, educationally, and, and in any other way in your life? So that, that summer I went to, I did a study abroad program and that's when the insomnia and anxiety got pretty severe uh, and it made you know, it's already a, a little bit stressful being in another country with all new people, a different accent. <laughs> this was in Scotland. And I was doing a really a very intensive physics program. And 
Um, and at the same time that I was doing all of those things, I was just not sleeping at all. I mean, it was maybe a couple hours a night and I was just constantly anxious. Um, and I remember I just, at one, one point I, there were, it was a couple of days in a row that I had barely, barely slept and the, the course was really difficult and that was weighing on me. And I just had like a breakdown. I just started hyperventilating and I just didn't know what to do. And I, I remember going to the, to the little clinic on campus and I walk in and I'm trying to keep my cool. And I said, Hey, you know, I need an appointment. I'm having some trouble sleeping and feeling, I'm feeling anxious. I need you guys to help me out. And they said, okay, here's some forms, you know, come back tomorrow. And I knew I couldn't wait till tomorrow. I mean, I had reached my breaking point <laughs> and I just started, I just started crying right there in the waiting room and hyperventilating. And they could obviously see I physically was having trouble breathing and they gave me some water and we're like, Oh no, it's okay. We'll help you now. And so, that's how um, that's how it impacted my study abroad um, program. And, and at the time, again, I was attributing it to being stressed about doing a study abroad program. Now you said that you, you had some challenges in that program, that it was a difficult program. Was it the program that was difficult or was it the limitations that your Lyme disease was causing you to make that program difficult for you to work through? It's definitely the limitations. I mean, it's hard to do anything when you're not sleeping. I mean, even just function normally day to day, um, let alone, you know, learn about physics or something. So it was, it was definitely just the fact that I was, was exhausted and, and anxious. <laughs> that would affect anyone. So how long is this before your ultimate Lyme disease diagnosis, your, your travel abroad to Scotland? How old were you? Oh, so I was 21 and I was diagnosed at 24. So this was three years before my diagnosis. So let's talk about the next three years. How did the next three years go and how did your symptoms develop? So I got back from Scotland and I said, wow, you know, I was so stressed out over there. It must have been, it must have been the course I was taking. And I thought, I'm going to come home. Everything is going to go back to normal. It's going to be great. And for a little bit of time, when I came back home for that summer before my senior year, it was normal. And I think that was because I was more relaxed. I was at home and things seemed to be better. Um, and then I went back to, <clears throat> excuse me, I went back to college for my senior year. And senior year was the hardest because I had, I was taking more than a full load of classes. I had multiple internships at the time. I was studying for the GRE. I was applying to graduate school. And I had just so much going on. And um, I think that that triggered my third episode, my third flare up again, where I had that acute sickness. Um, but this time I decided actually not to go to the hospital and just waited out at home. Um, and it actually went by faster, <laughs> just, you know, being comfortable at home, being able to sleep and not, you know, getting needles stuck in you every two hours. So I just waited it out and, you know, that was kind of a signal that, you know, something was really going on and the insomnia came back during that senior year. Um, now, were your symptoms the same during the same, this third flare up where you had the fever and you had all of the same symptoms that resulted in your earlier hospitalizations? Yes. So exactly the same, exactly the same symptoms again, that third time. And are you sure this third set of symptoms was in fact a flare-up and it wasn't the consequence of a reinfection? I guess I can't know a hundred percent. My best guess is that I didn't, I mean, I don't remember being in a, you know, very wooded area where I would have gotten another tick bite. So who knows? Um, I've always thought of it as a flare-up, but I, you know, I can't prove it. Now, Julia, were you doing anything differently between the age of 15 and now the age of 21? For example, were you doing tick checks? Were you using any, um, any uh, either permethrin or DEET or any other form of protection that would have prevented you from coming in contact with ticks? No, no, not at all. So now let's, let's fast forward after this now third um, set of symptoms that are similar to the first two that you had that resulted in your hospitalization. How did your symptoms mm -hmm. develop after you overcame the, what you're calling that acute event? Yeah. So after that third one, 
so now we're at the end of college and I had a little break before before grad school. So things were kind of just the same, same symptoms that I had mentioned before. Um, and I think during the break, it, it did improve again, because I wasn't in school and I was more relaxed. So it did get better. I remember my insomnia actually pretty much went away. Um, my anxiety was, I probably, I don't remember if it just went way down or it went away completely, but I was feeling good, you know, in my little eight months between college and graduate school. Um, and then graduate school started. So another, I guess you could say pretty big stressor. And here I was, you know, so excited for this chapter of my life. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I'm an educational geek, as you, as you called it. And I was so excited for graduate school and to meet like-minded people and to learn about stuff I actually was super interested in and to make, you know, I wanted to be involved in, in everything, <laughs> anything and everything I possibly could be. I wanted to make all the friends, do all the things. And that was obviously, um, or not obviously, that's the complete opposite of, of what actually happened. And when graduate school started, it was just a cascade of symptoms um, that were, you know, very severe and on top of what I was already having before. So I started just having really, really bad fatigue, um, which is, I want to make a note that this is very different from like being tired or being sleep deprived. It's it feels like inside your, your muscles and your cells, you just don't have the, the physical, you know, the bioelectrical energy to move. I mean, it was like I could barely walk. It, that was challenging for me. And I was a fitness instructor. So I don't, you know, this is definitely not laziness. I just was so fatigued all the time and I couldn't sleep. Um, I started having brain fog. So I could, my brain wasn't working. Um, and so you can imagine that's very difficult when you're in graduate school and you're trying to study and your, your brain's not working. I mean, I couldn't even have a conversation with someone. I took all of my energy, took everything I had in me to even follow a conversation, let alone study. So that started happening. Um, I started having migraines, um, not like your typical migraine where you have aura and visual symptoms, but just these debilitating headaches. Um, that, that just progressively got worse and more frequent. Um, I started having lightheadedness. I started feeling cold all the time. Um, I was having, you know, heart palpitations. Um, what else? I, you know, I even got out of bed one morning and just fell over. I mean, I was that lightheaded that I just passed out. Um, Two times, actually, I even had, this only happened twice, but I had panic attacks, which are very scary. Um, so all of this kind of snowball of, of symptoms started hitting me. And I remember my boyfriend at the time was just saying, oh, well, you're, and I just want to know, again, that all these symptoms, most of them, you can't see them on the outside. So if you're smiling and trying to go about your day, the, the people around me probably didn't know I was having any of this happening to me and my boyfriend at the time kept saying you're, you're probably just you know you're really stressed I think you're stressing yourself out too much you know you're trying to be a perfectionist in school he's like you just need to relax and and I was questioning myself and thinking wow am I, am I crazy like am I imagining all this stuff happening to me or but you know deep down I knew I, this there was something going on this couldn't just be stress so so Julia you started your graduate experience with having the desire to do it all meet a lot of friends, take all the courses, mm -hmm. be involved in all the different social activities. Were you able to achieve the goal that you had set for yourself and, and participate in all these activities or were you limited by your illness? I was definitely limited. Um, I mean, I couldn't make the, you know, the great social connections that I'd been hoping I did make friends, but uh, I couldn't be as involved as I would have liked because there were just so many days that I wasn't, I wasn't feeling well. So I had to miss a lot. I couldn't be as involved as I wanted to be. Um, it made, you know, academics harder than they had to be. I, I actually, I quit my fitness job and I made, you know, I didn't sign up for, for more. Uh, I didn't, I didn't put more on my plate than I, than I could handle. You know, normally I would have been able to handle more, but it was definitely, it was definitely limiting me for sure. And I forgot to mention in the, in the symptoms too, that I was having this, 
this thing called air hunger, which feels like you can't fully breathe in, which also is, is not fun. So Julie, now you're developing these more severe symptoms and these are happening on a more regular basis. And it's not just these acute illnesses that you're getting that are putting you in the hospital. Are you now following up with additional doctors to see why you're still sick and why you're getting worse? Yes. Um, I was going to all sorts of doctors. I mean, I went to a rheumatologist and I went to um, even an oncologist and I went to a sleep doctor, and I went to a psychiatrist, and I went to, um, you know, gastroenterologist, I went to internal physicians, trying to, I'm trying to remember what else. Um, I went to, I mean, every, I went to a blood doctor, hematologist, every kind of specialist you could go to, I was seeing these specialists. And what was happening at every appointment is they'd say, uh-huh, yeah, okay, you have this symptom, so we're going to give you this drug, and that'll, you know, fix your symptoms. So they gave me, a, you know, a sleep, they gave me Ambien, and they gave me some like anti-anxiety medication and some pain pills or something. And I don't even remember, but I didn't ever open any of those bottles. I never took a single pill that they gave me because I knew it was a slippery slope and I didn't want to just cover up these symptoms. I wanted to figure out what was really going on. So now at this point, you're trying to get to the root cause and you don't know what's going on. How is this impacting you to get through graduate school? Were you able to successfully graduate from graduate school? I was able to. Um, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was really hanging on by a thread at this point. I mean, I was pushing through so much pain and so much exhaustion to get through my classes. And um, I was actually teaching a class at this time, too, because a few friends and I had applied for a grant and we started our own health program. So ironically, here I am sick teaching other people about health and I was teaching them about nutrition and cooking and uh, I'm just hanging on by a thread. And I managed to graduate with honors, a little bit of bragging, but uh, <laughs> somehow, you know, I got through, but it was, it was really, really, really tough. Well, as someone who's experienced a lot of the symptoms you're describing, I can't even imagine being in school while having those symptoms, never mind being able to graduate and graduate with honors. So that's, that is a real accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. So now, of course, you're, you're, gra you're graduating and you are moving on to the next days of your life, but you're continuing to feel worse and worse and worse. So describe for us that period of your life where you're now graduated and trying to move on, but yet you're continuing to decline with your health. Yeah, so when I graduated, um, I knew, you know, at this point, there's no way I'm working a full-time job. And my family and I knew, okay, we need to take a time out and just focus on figuring out what's going on with my body and healing before I can, before I can take flight and, and leave the nest. So we take some time off. Um, my mom was going back and forth between San Francisco and LA because I was Still living in LA so she would go back and forth to help me out um, and it was just you know we were going to doctors we were researching we were just trying to figure out what was going on while making some changes to just try to feel better in the meantime you know like I cleaned up cleaned up my diet a lot and I was just trying to have a healthy lifestyle basically to try to mitigate these symptoms um, and that's that's where we were at at that point so Julie, at this point, before you knew that Lyme was the root cause of all of your symptoms, is there something that you did by chance that happened to help your health or help your symptoms that you can recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so there wasn't anything that made it, um, that made it significantly better, but it, you know, there were definitely things that made it a little bit better. So I cut out gluten. I mean, we hear this recommendation often, gluten is an inflammatory protein, even if you don't have celiac. So sometimes it can help to cut out gluten. Like I cut out, you know, all junk food for the most part. Um, I just really cleaned up my diet. Um, I tried to have a good sleep schedule. I can't say I was always successful with this. Um, I continued to stay active, even though, you know, maybe I couldn't go and lift a ton of weights at the gym, but I made sure that I was doing yoga or going on walks. Um, I was going in the sauna and just trying to do lifestyle practices that would, um, that would keep me going. 
So now walk us through as you're trying to do everything you can that you know about to improve your health and you're trying to figure out what's going on and, and move on with your life. How did you ultimately land on a Lyme disease diagnosis? So it's, it's kind of funny because I remember uh, I was following some people on Instagram who were having also some kind of mystery, mysterious health issues. And some of them mentioned that they had Lyme. So the name was popping up and I, I didn't even, it didn't click in my brain. I didn't think, oh, I should recheck if I have that. Um, so I was seeing it in my feed and I just completely not completely ignoring it. And the way I got the Lyme diagnosis is we were talking to my aunt or my, yeah, my aunt who is a nurse practitioner and she has some doctor friends and she said, Oh, I have this friend who's a great doctor. Um, you should go to her. Uh, she's you know functional. She'll look at the causes you know, rather than just try to fix your symptoms. So we listened to my aunt and we talked to her doctor friend and that doctor said this I'm she was basically like I'm 99% sure you have Lyme disease and that was you know that was what triggered it and I took an Igenix blood test and it came back positive it came back very positive so that's how that's when I found out and I just remember like crying tears of joy that I had an answer finally so this is nine years after you first got sick and they ran the Lyme test when it was too early to actually even pick it up at all. And you found Lyme from Googling while in the hospital. So what were your feelings? Did you feel, were you angry? Were you just happy that you finally had a diagnosis or was it a combination of, of both of those emotions? It's definitely both. I was so happy to have an answer and not have to keep explaining you know why i had to miss an event with my friends or it was just so hard to explain to people in my life so it was nice to just be able to have a word i can use like oh i can't go because i have lyme disease you know it was just something i could uh finally i had a name for this craziness mis mysterious stuff that was happening to me um but also of course i was incredibly frustrated that i had to suffer for so many years to get my answer and that that first time i was hospitalized at one of the best hospitals, if not the best in the U.S., and the, they couldn't, you know, come up with this themselves, but I had to find out nine years later. So definitely frustration um, in terms of, you know, how long it took. Yeah, we, well, we could say that here in New York, the awareness is not where it needs to be, and, and we have a much higher incident rate, I think, of, of Lyme than you do in California. So I can't imagine how, how bad it must be there as far as awareness is concerned with Lyme. So you know, in this nine-year window, did any of your doctors ever bring up Lyme aside from your first test when you were 15 years old? I saw, you know, probably over two dozen doctors and not one person brought up Lyme disease. So now talk to us what it's like working with this now functional medicine doctor that you found through your aunt. And now once you have all your, your positive hygienics tests and you know that you have Lyme disease, what your treatment plan was at that point. So, of course, now that I had the diagnosis, I went back to researching. Um, and so with the, with the functional medicine doctor, she put me on some, some herbal supplements um, and some other, just kind of a whole array of, of supplements and <clears throat> recommended some, some detox practices as well. So I was doing all of that, and I was also doing research on my own. And um, I actually, I think I might've found this out through your guys' podcast, but I somehow found out about ozone. And it sounded like, oh, like all these people with Lyme are doing ozone. So I started doing intravenous ozone therapy, which, which helped a ton. Um, so I did, I don't know, like 10 rounds of ozone. And that was helping me a lot for sure. Um, and, you know, I was looking up other things I could try, and I was just trying everything I could. So I started doing peptide injections that I had to inject myself. Um, I was trying to think what else um, at the time. Julie, real, real I think quick, I, before, before you go on with the additional things you did to treat Lyme, can you give us a, an explanation or, or description of what peptide therapy is for our listeners? Yeah, um, I don't think I can give a great explanation of how exactly it works but it's basically it's timosin a and timosin b those are the name of the peptides which are just short short proteins 
Um, and they come in these little bottles and I would just inject a little bit. And to be honest, I don't, I don't really know what they were doing. I know they were supposed to be for immune support of some kind. Um, can't, can't really say it made a big difference. Uh, the ozone, I would say definitely made a difference though. Did you have any adverse reactions to ozone? We've had some guests in the past cite that they've had success, but you know, even after let's say a dozen or so times of doing it, they would then have a, you know, an allergic reaction or some sort of negative response to the ozone. Did you ever experience anything like that? So it's interesting because the first 10 or so sessions that I did, I had no adverse reaction at all. It made me feel great. Um, but later on, as I, when I kept doing it later, um, I did have some weird sensations after the sessions where it felt kind of painful in my chest, like to breathe in, it felt kind of scratchy, like, like maybe as if a fork was scratching my lungs and throat. So, and I noticed that a couple of times. So I actually stopped doing ozone um, after that. So, and all of this treatment you're doing under the consultation of your functional medicine doctor that you found through your aunt, correct? Oh, no, no, sorry. So the ozone was, uh, I was just doing separately at a private clinic and this was separate from the treatment, I, the herbal treatment I was doing with the functional medicine doctor. Now, were you consulting your functional medicine doctor and running all of your treatment options by her or were you sort of just doing whatever you could to try to get better and you know, just grasping at whatever was out there to try to heal yourself? I, I mentioned it to her, you know, I would tell her, oh, look, I'm, I'm also, I'm doing your protocol, but I'm also trying this and this. Um, so I'm, I was just trying to do everything I could to feel better. Now, you mentioned the herbal therapy from your functional medicine doctor. So do you recall any of the herbs that you took? And in your particular case, would, do you feel they were helpful for you in your healing journey? Oh, man. I mean, I, they were, they were mixtures. So each one has, you know, multiple different herbs in it. And I don't remember, you know, the brand names for each one. That's something I could let you know, maybe for you to put in the notes or something later. But uh, I don't recall specifically what the supplements were. Now, at what point, because we're now jumping ahead a little bit, at what point did you decide that I'm not healing in the way I want to and start to consider Clinic St. George in Germany? Well, you know, so I was doing all these things. Um, you know, the ozone, the supplements, the, the detox things. And I was feeling better, but I was not feeling great. And from all the research that, um, I mean, I have to say a big shout out to my mom. She was like my personal case manager and she spent countless hours researching. I can't even, I mean, I feel so sorry for that woman because I'm sure I kept her up many nights or I, not me, but my condition because she was always, you know, up late at night <clears throat> looking things up for me. And we realized that one of the avenues out there to get rid of Lyme faster and to, you know, not just go into remission, but potentially get rid of it is to go to Clinic St. George and do a hyperthermia treatment. And so as soon as we saw that, we just, we just booked a trip as fast as we could. Now, were you doing anything to detox prior to Clinic St. George? Yeah, uh, I was doing saunas. I was, you know, trying to get sunlight, vitamin D. I was having a good sleep schedule. I was eating well. You know, I focused on like the sweating in terms of in terms of detox. So I tried to um, exercise if I was up to it, which was not very often. So a lot of saunas. I was doing Epsom salt baths. Um, those are really great and relaxing. Um, I was trying to think of what other detox things. Um, Oh, I was doing um, oil pulling, where you swish oil between your teeth in the morning to cleanse your mouth. So I was doing that. I was doing, oh, I'm, rem I'm remembering now. So I was doing dry brushing, which is you take a brush and you um, you just brush your skin with the brush and it, act, you know, it helps your lymphatic system get flowing. So I was doing dry brushing, um, you know, just like trying to move my body. So yoga or using a foam roller. So those were all the things. Now to put it into perspective time-wise, how long was it from the time you got diagnosed and started your treatment until the time you left for Germany? So I, di I got diagnosed June 2019 and October of that same year, I was already in Germany. 
So it was very, it was pretty quick. So now many people I know consider going to Clinic St. George or, or leaving the country to get alternative treatments, but there's a fear yeah. factor there because you're not healthy. So how did you get the courage and the power and the strength to make that decision to go to Germany? Was, was your mother and your family a, a major contributing factor to give you that strength to move forward and do this? I think a really big contribution to my courage was seeing stories of other people on Instagram who had gone to Clinic St. George and who were writing, oh, wow, you know, it's been six months or a year since my treatment and I climbed this mountain that I couldn't climb before or these symptoms went away or I'm feeling great. And all I wanted at that time, you know, all I wanted in the whole entire world was just to feel good, just to be healthy and live my life. So I was totally prepared to do anything. And I was already in so much pain that not, nothing was scaring me. You know, I was ready to do anything and be in any amount of distress to just get healthy again, because it couldn't be worse than it was, you know? So um, between the success stories and, um, and I, you know, I kind of have this thing where if something is scary to me that I have to do in the future, I compartmentalize it and I don't think about it. And I just sign up for the thing in this case, going to Germany without really thinking about it until I'm there. Um, and that's, that's how I got there. So Julie, walk us through what it was like getting to Germany and starting the treatment. Now we had the benefit of following your journey on Instagram. You shared a lot on your stories and it was, you know, we were big fans of yours, keeping track of pretty much every step of your, your uh, treatment there. But for our listeners, walk mm -hmm. us through what it was like for you to go into a foreign country to see people you've never met before and to live there and get this type of treatment that, that is sort of experimental here in the States. Yeah, uh, I will say that the traveling, the, the physical journey to get to Germany was, was so terrible for me because I remember right before the flight, I got really sick. I had a cold, but when you have Lyme, any little thing, any little hit to your immune system really takes you down. So I had this terrible cold, like I was feeling so horrible. And we had this really long flight to go to Germany. And that was like the worst 48 hour, 48 hour period <laughs> ever. Uh, just getting, you know, and I couldn't sleep on a plane. So I was just awake for so long. And we get there. And I remember we walked into the clinic and walked into this little nurse's station and there and I'm, you know, obviously exhausted after this long journey. And they're just like, okay, like tomorrow morning, you need to get up at 7am and take these supplements and to do this and go there. And they're telling me all these instructions. And honestly, it was going in one ear and going out the other. <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. And, and I just remember thinking, I just want to go to my, you know, little dorm room and, and I need to just rest. So it was a lot to take in. Um, they, you, you start, you know, the moment you walk in that door, you're, you're starting your program. Um, and basically they, they gave me a schedule for the time that I was there. And everything happens in that one building. Um, and you have a little schedule that says, okay, like 9 a.m., you need to go to this therapy. And then 10 a.m., you're going to go to your massage. <laughs> 11 a.m., you're going to do your foot bath. So you had a schedule to follow. And there was always a nurse's station where if you didn't know what to do or you needed help with your IVs or something like that, you could go ask. Um, but you said, you know, how did I cope with being in this whole new place, you know, in a foreign country in a hospital? <clears throat> And I would say that what, what made me um, feel comfortable and what helped me find strength and courage to, you know, endure that treatment was the other patients that were there. And there were patients from all over the world. I mean, I met people from Spain, from France, from Australia, multiple people from the East Coast of the U.S. Um, I met people from, I mean, just all over the world. And it was it was actually really cool to finally be able to talk to people that understood what I was going through and understood the frustration of, you know, the endless doctor's appointments and the debilitating symptoms that keep you from living your life. And it was just this little microcosm of people from all over the world that somehow ended up in this tiny town in Germany. Um, and it was, so you, I actually felt pretty, I, I don't know if I would say at home, but um, it wasn't as scary because they were all there and we were, always running into each other in the halls and eating together in the cafeteria. And just a side note, the food there is amazing. <laughs> I think I would go back to clinic St. George just to eat the food. <laughs> it was so, it was so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other people there were so supportive and, you know, when they see that there's someone new coming in, 
they, they try to reach out to you and say, hey, like, oh, I see it's your first day. Like, how you doing? And everyone was just so welcoming. So from what we understand, Clinic St. George really will, they sort of pump you up with antibiotics for about a 10-day window. And they use that in conjunction with hyperthermia to sort of kill off the Lyme bacteria because it can't survive that high temperature that they put your body through. And then that combined with the antibiotics, killing off whatever may be left over, is supposed to eradicate or get rid of the Lyme bacteria in your body. Is that an accurate assessment of, of that part of the therapy you got there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The way I would describe it, um, from what I understand, um, not a researcher, but from what I've read, if when you take antibiotics without hyperthermia, as most people do in the U.S., the the bacteria just change form. They go from being, you know, a spirally active little wormy thing to cysts. So they kind of hide away. So the antibiotic isn't really getting through to them. Um, but what the hyperthermia uh, purportedly does is it's disabling the bacteria. It's making them susceptible to the antibiotics. And then, so when you combine the two, the hyperthermia with antibiotics, then you're getting a, a bigger effect. Yeah, a common thing we hear often is that people will be on antibiotics and feel better, but once they go off the antibiotics, they feel mm -hmm. worse. And, and we've learned from, from just, you know, over a hundred podcast guests is that the Lyme spirochetes or the, you know, the swirly things turn into circular cysts is what they're called when you're on antibiotics and you feel better. When you go off the antibiotics, they convert back to these spirochetes and make you sick again. So it sounds like really what you did was to solve that problem by not only killing off the spirochetes, but also attacking them in their cyst form to make them vulnerable to finally get yourself to feel better in the long run. Is, is that sound accurate from what you went through? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the idea here is you're not just you're not just making them go into their stealth mode, but you're you're actually killing off the infection is what the physicians were telling me. So just what was it like from your perspective to be, you know, I think they put you actually you they kind of put you under, right? And then you wake up from the hyperthermia after the, the treatment, is that correct? Right. So what it what it feels like is <clears throat> you go in you strip down, you're totally naked, and you lay down in this, I guess it looks kind of like a tanning bed <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, and actually what made it a little bit less scary is you're not alone in that room. There's two other, at least when I was there, there were two other patients going through it at the same time, like literally right next to me. You don't see them, but like they're, um, they're right next to you in their little tanning bed. And then, you know, you have an IV and they put in the drugs to make you fall asleep. And you're out and you don't remember anything and you know six hours go by but to you it feels like five minutes and then you wake up and you know they're they're wheeling you in your wheelchair you're still kind of drowsy from the drugs but you do remember you know being wheeled back to your room and then after that little nap the hyperthermia you you're i mean you're really exhausted your body just went through a lot so you kind of just sleep for the next like one or two days and you're just really really tired um and you just take it easy for for a day after that and um, just kind of gain your strength back. Now, do they do that numerous times or is it just one session of that that you get at Clinic St. George? So I, you, you do it twice. Um, apparently one time is enough. You don't actually really need to do it twice, but I think they do it as a precaution, you know, just to be completely sure that they got every bug or, you know, make sure that it was effective, they, they do it two times. And after you sleep it off for those two days, did you feel immediately better? Or is this something that takes a little bit of time for, you to, for it to work for you to feel the, the you know, relief from the treatment? So I don't remember exactly in what order this happened, but I felt worse and better. <laughs> so I will explain. Um, so I had a pretty bad Herxheimer reaction, which is a detox reaction. Essentially, when all these things are dying inside of your body, the bacteria, they release uh, endotoxins, which are toxic to your body, kind of like a waste product as they die away. And obviously after a hyperthermia, there's a big rush of these endotoxins. So I remember just feeling really not great after this for maybe a day or something or two. But then I had, I, you know, after that passed, I had a couple days where I didn't have a headache and I had more energy. And these were very new feelings to me. And I thought, wow, like, because all of the days prior to that that I was in the hospital, I had a headache like every single day and I wasn't feeling good. And it was the first time that 
I was feeling calmer and my headache had gone away and I walked around the city and explored a little bit. So the effect was, was literally immediate. I mean, I wouldn't say that my illness completely went away that day. Definitely, definitely not, but I already felt the effect. Um, And there was, there was actually a man there at the time that I was there who he had neurological Lyme and he was um, not completely paralyzed, but he was in a wheelchair. And I remember that after his hyperthermia, right after, he was able to lift his arms up and walk around, which he hadn't been able to do in years. So, I mean, if that's not proof that it's that it works and that it does something, you know, I don't know what is, but I felt it. Wow. So that 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 is just truly amazing. So give us an idea of percentage-wise. Now you're you're finishing your treatment, you're back home, you're you're out of Clinic St. George. What percentage of your health would you say you regained back as a result of that treatment? So right after the treatment, you don't feel great right away. Um, you still have to put in the work. It's, it's a slow recovery process because when you have the infection in your body for so long, like it had time to do damage. You know, you have your hormones are out of whack. You know, I had issues with my gut. I like couldn't eat anything without blowing up like a balloon. <laughs> so I had some gut issues to fix. Um, so some things were out of whack that I had to focus on, but these were, these were all fixable things. And I feel like the biggest, um, offender was gone, which was the Borrelia or the, the actual Lyme infection. And now I was just kind of dealing with some damage control and the aftermath. Um, so I was still feeling not great because of those things, but I noticed that I was able to do things that I couldn't do before. Like sometimes I could go to the gym, you know, even if it wasn't every day, like I for sure couldn't go to the gym before. So I was having more energy. Um, I was having less headaches. So everything, all of the symptoms got, got better. So talk to us about some of the things that were left over as damage from Lyme that you're now still working on uh, with, with various techniques. Um, I would say the the main things that are left over for me at this point um, and at that point too was I I had gut issues because when you have, um, you know, an infection for many years, it it disrupts your gut microbiome and it creates an imbalance in your gut flora. And that alone can make you feel really bad because I forget who said this. I think Hippocrates, you know, that um, health starts in the gut or I forget exactly how he said it, but um, your gut is sort of your second brain and it's, um, a lot of your immune system is in there. A lot of your hormones and proteins and neurotransmitters are created in the gut and your gut needs to be able to absorb nutrients. Well, and mine was definitely not doing that. So I was really focused on, um, healing my gut. And, uh, recently I, I discovered, um, what's called the colonics program. And I would say that has you know, since Germany, that has been like the next biggest thing that, that brought me back to almost normalcy. And um, in addition to that, I also started working with an herbalist who um, has given me some herbal formulations for my immune system. And those have also helped me quite a bit. So talk to us a little bit more about colonics and how they've helped you. It sounds like they were the, the things that helped you the most restore your gut health. So what was that? What is that like for you? Uh, so do you want do you want me to talk about how the procedure actually goes down? Yes, please. Sure. So um, basically, I mean, it's going to get pretty detailed. Morning, everyone. But uh, you you go in um, once a week, and they put a tube in your bum, <laughs> and they send in you know they pump in water, or sometimes it's even herbal tea like chamomile or peppermint tea. And then when you feel that the pressure in your colon builds up, you, you, you let them know, and then the water gets flushed back out. And this happens um, repeatedly. Um, and, you know, you do this for about 45 minutes every week. And the idea is that it's clearing out your colon of stuff that's been, you know, in, stuck in there for a long time. And the stuff that is um, stuck in there is actually preventing Uh, healthy bacteria from setting up camp. So what they're doing is they're cleaning up the wall of your gut lining and they're, they're clearing out any bad bacteria or any yeast like candida. And then at the end, once 
you know, after a couple of weeks when your colon is nice and cleaned out, then they send in um, probiotics. So now those probiotics are actually able to adhere to the intestinal wall because you've cleaned it out. And I haven't even reached the end of the program yet, but I will just say that it has made a huge difference for me. I mean, in my mental clarity and my energy, just my overall, like not having that, um, like that hangover feeling that I used to have, like I feel more refreshed, more energetic. Um, like it gave me such a huge boost and it really frustrates me that this isn't more, you know, widely available or that people don't talk about this more because I know that so many people struggle with gut issues. And I know that I, myself, I have tried every diet you can imagine. I mean, I really tried all the herbs, all the diets, and I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, really, you know, get, get better in terms of these gut health issues as much as I wanted. And the colonics program is not invasive. It's not painful. It's less expensive than, than other stuff out there. So I would, you know, recommend it to anyone who's struggling with gut problems. So what type of a doctor does colonics? If somebody listening wants to learn more, what type of doctor do they need to find and follow up with to be able to learn more about getting a colonic to recover their gut health? So the, the place that I went to or go to is just a private clinic and it's operated by doctors, but the people who administer the colonic are just, um, I guess you would call them nurses or technicians. Um, so you do a consultation with the doctor and they kind of explain everything to you and um, that's how it works. So you don't need a referral or anything. You just go on your own to your local colonics place if, if you have one of those nearby. So if you had to say one thing that helped you the most, would you say that in your specific journey, it would have been the hyperthermia that was a game changer? Absolutely, yeah. In first place, I would put the hyperthermia. Uh, in second place, I would put I guess the colonics and in third place, I would put ozone and in fourth place, I would put herbs. (laughs) So you've made a lot of progress since you were sick when you were 15 years old now going on uh, many, many years ago. So how do you feel today? Give us an idea of what you're doing today that you couldn't have a couple of years ago. I mean, everything. I mean, I can, I can almost live my life normally. I mean, I pretty much do. I, you know, I go on hikes. I'm active. I mean, obviously it's COVID, so the gyms are closed, but um, I don't have like any weird mood issues anymore. Um, I sleep much better. I just actually got a job. So finally, you know, that has been my goal for so long was to be able to work. Um, So I just got a job and I'm hanging out with friends um, safely (laughs) and just kind of, you know, reading books, doing my hobbies, playing piano, um, just doing all the things that I love to do before. And um, yeah, I mean, the only things that I would say, you know, hold me back now is really the only thing is I still working on being a good sleeper. And I, I blame that partially on myself, you know, for maybe not going to bed early enough. And I think that's also has to do with, um, you know, getting to the end of the colonics program, because I've seen that improve my sleep but I mean compared to how it was in the past I mean it's like night and day so Julia why don't you talk to us now about the transformational experience you've had going through your Lyme disease journey how are you better as a consequence of this journey than you would have been had you not gone on a Lyme journey yeah that's that's a great question um I like to say that, you know, every struggle or obstacle that we go through is a blessing in disguise. And I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I will say that, you know, going through this, I've just, I've, I've, I've have, um, trying to find, you know, (laughs) the nice way to say this, I, I have so much gratitude now for, you know, just the smallest things, just having a day that goes by smoothly where I'm just able to do normal activities that I couldn't do before that brings me so much fulfillment and joy. And I'm really, really able to appreciate things um, much more deeply and profoundly than I did before. I mean, like really small things, even seeing a, a beautiful tree in my backyard can make me so happy or being able to spend some quality time with friends or my family or, or go on a date, just normal life things bring me 
so much gratitude and so much joy that I think my appreciation level for life has really gone up and it's really taught me that, you know, you can't take anything for granted because you never know when you could have a health issue or something could go awry. And so that was one of the biggest things. Um, Another thing I would say too, is I was always kind of, I felt like I had to be the best at everything and be a perfectionist and be in control and line the line journey taught me to let go of that control, or at least let go of the things that you know that you can't control and focus on what you can control the here and the now, and what can you do um, to improve your situation and try, you know, not to dwell on, on what happened or the things that are going wrong, wrong in your life. Because, you know, in my case, there were a lot of things going wrong. And if I had just spent years and years dwelling on that, I never would have gotten to the other side. So it really taught me to go with the flow, you know, life is unpredictable and you just have to let go. And then that makes it easier for your soul to be, you know, at ease. And that was a major life lesson. So Julia, I now want to ask you the final question we ask all of our guests, which is if God mm-hmm. forbid your mom came into your room and showed you that she had a tick biting her on her leg, what would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't have to go on a terrible Lyme disease journey the way you had? So of course I would say safely remove the tick, um, send it off to a lab to get tested, the tick itself. I would say um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure about this piece of advice, but I mean, to be safe, I would, do a course of antibiotics, even if you don't know that you have Lyme or not, it's just better safe than sorry, you know, better do a little bit of damage from taking antibiotics than potentially get a very bad disease. So, um, you know, get tested in a timely manner at the right time, you know, not right away. Um, so that's, that's what I would advise. And I would also say, you know, after every, every time you're outside, just to thoroughly check your skin for a tick bite because they can be really, really tiny. They can be pretty hard to spot. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Julia Fagelman. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Julia and her tick disease journey, please follow her Instagram page at F-E-Y-G-E-L-Z. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of our Tick Boot Camp podcast with Julia, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Boot Camp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share. Fourth, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.